Welcome to Practically Political. It's great to see you again. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Great to have you. Well, we had so much news with the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire coming up. I'm curious, Dave, do you think there is any viable path for Nikki Haley? I think there could be if only Ron DeSantis drops out and perhaps Chris Christie urges his his supporters to show up big for her. But neither is going to happen. And I think it's going to be 2016 all over again. But what do you think? Yeah, I, I I guess my my question about Nikki Haley is, let's say that she wins New Hampshire. And again, that's a big if, because we have to remember 2016 is what really, when New Hampshire is what put Trump on the map. He had lost to Ted Cruz in Iowa and New Hampshire, he got a big win and that sent him on his way. So, but let's put all that aside and assume that Nikki Haley does win. I guess my big question is, what next? Because if you look at her, where her vote came from, Trump got over 60% of people who say they're very conservative, almost 50% of people who say they're somewhat conservative. And the rest of the vote, which is the anti-Trump vote, the independents, people that are the more liberal wings of the Republican Party, though there aren't many of those left, they all went for Haley. So I don't see how she has a path because Nevada has been basically jury rigged. So Trump has that in the bag. And even though South Carolina is her home state, it's very evangelical and it's a demography that's much more suited to Trump. So as much as I would love to say, yes, she has a chance. And if she wins New Hampshire, that it's going to be a two person race. I would say, no, I think it's um, I think it's pretty much uh, a baked cake, which is a very sad thing for, for, for me to say. And Ron DeSantis dropping out, I think, would also in help Trump more because I think I'd say 80 percent of his voters would go to Trump because I've seen repeated polls where almost all Ron DeSantis voters say that their second choice is Trump. So we'll we'll get to Ron DeSantis in a moment. But unfortunately, I think that. Um, as people would say, stick a fork in this one, it's done. What say you? I think you're right. I think the only chance that Nikki Haley has, uh, has of pulling out some sort of miraculous victory in New Hampshire is that enough independents cross over because it is an open primary for independents. They are allowed to vote in the primary in New Hampshire. So if she's able to galvanize enough, like you said, independent or Republican, you know, more liberal-leaning Republicans, then she could eke something out. But I think that the uh, the tepid lack of endorsement from Chris Christie, that hurt her uh, because a lot of his supporters would have been natural Nikki Haley supporters. And what's really telling, I believe it was NBC News, they found that 71% of Nikki Haley supporters in Iowa said that they would vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump in the general election. That was pretty telling to me. So the thing about New Hampshire, it is it is more independent um, than some other states. So people are willing to buck the national party. So they might be more willing to buck the national party to go for Nikki Haley as opposed to Trump. But I don't think it's going to be enough. So I'm with you, Dave. I I think it's going to be a really hard path for her. I think also in South Carolina, if you were talking about the general election as opposed to the primary, then I think she would have a much better shot in uh, in South Carolina, or even just uh, a, a primary of of all South Carolinian voters for the Republican nomination. Then it would be Nikki Haley, I would guess. 
Um, but it's not. It's a, you know, it's, it's a Republican primary in South Carolina. So some people were trying to say, well, this could be, you know, like Joe Biden 2020 is who Nikki Haley could be. That's who Ari Melbar said when I was on MSNBC this week. Uh, and he said he thinks Nikki Haley has a shot, especially in in South Carolina. And I said, I just don't, I don't, she doesn't have a secret weapon down there. She's, there's no Joe Clyburn uh, or Jim Clyburn of South Carolina for her. So anyway, that's my take. Yeah, I agree. And let's face it, because Biden's not on the ballot in, in New Hampshire, even if Nikki Haley were to win, because the Democrats have essentially uh, nixed the New Hampshire primary, Trump can easily say, oh, it was rigged. This doesn't count. It's not a real primary. She doesn't have a real win. So it's going to be very easy for Trump and his voters to dismiss a win if she is able to win. But I will say one thing uh, in defense of Nikki Haley, and a lot of people have been so frustrated, and I am as well, about how she's trying to, what many people think, very weakly appeal to to Trump's voters without uh, without directly criticizing Trump. Why aren't you going after Trump? And her lame excuse was, well, people who hate Trump think I'm not tough on enough on him, and people think I or that I'm too t- I'm not. I'm too not tough enough. People who love Trump think I'm too tough. And, you know, the bottom line is if she crosses any type of Rubicon where she's thought of as being anti-Trump, then she becomes the the eye in the storm of the of the of the MAGA crowd, if you will. And it's the rest of her campaign is going to be defending every day. How could you betray Donald Trump? How did you do this? So as frustrating as it is, I give her credit. I think she's actually done a pretty skillful job navigating very, very perilous waters. But having said that, again, her appeal, and and I think that really, if there was the final straw that broke the camel's back, if you pardon the cliche, it was when Chris Christie got caught on that hot mic saying that she's going to get smoked, she's not up to it, which A, showed that he wasn't going to support her, and but probably more importantly, he just feels that she's a lightweight and that she doesn't have the voters or the path to the nomination. So I think it's been a noble effort, but I think it's done. But I'd love to get your thoughts before I do. What do you think about this whole Ron DeSantis thing? Because you go back to a year ago and he was polling ahead of Trump in some uh, by some measures. He was he had just had this amazing reelection in Florida. He was the the great party hope and Look where he is now. I'd love your thoughts on it before I give mine. Yeah. In fact, I went and I looked up some polling. And in Iowa, in March 2023, DeSantis was up by Trump by eight points in March 2023. So, And now here we are. He, he barely you know, hung on to a second place victory. So pretty shocking. And the fact that, in my view, if I was a DeSantis donor... I got a negative return on my investment because when he started out his campaign, he was hot. He had his memoir that just came out. He was pulling 30, 40% in the primary nationally, potentially. And now it, he's kind of halved that. Um, and in New Hampshire, it's even less than that. I believe he's down to single digits. So the ROI is negative on Ron DeSantis donors. And my theory on what happened, and the thing is, I like Ron DeSantis. I, I flew down to Florida last spring and did an event with him, got to spend time with him for a few hours. 
Um, and I enjoyed the event a lot. Unfortunately, I think what he did was that he, he his strategy should have been everybody except who doesn't want Trump. And instead, what he tried to do was he tried to steal the Trump base from Trump. He tried to out Trump Trump. And you're never going to do it. As, as Bill Maher said, why would anybody go see the tribute band when they can go see the original while the original is alive? So he was not authentic to who he is. Like I said, spending time with him and in September of 22 was when I first heard him in person. The word I would describe him as, he was a wonk and the room loved it. He just, the room ate it up because he was a wonk. So I think at his core, Ron DeSantis, he's very policy focused. He's very wonkish. And instead, what he tried to pretend to be was a culture warrior. But that's just not who he is. He actually just cares about results and governance. He's actually a very substantive person. And instead, he tried to pander and pretend that he wanted to, you know, drag people down with the Disney stuff. And I mean, I, I agree with what he was doing on the CRT initiatives and things, but it was the way he was doing it, his language. Um, he just became too polarizing in my, in my view. Um, and he, he, instead of being an alternative to Trump, he was a pale copycat of Trump. What's yeah, well, I would uh, I would add a couple of things to that. First of all, what really hurt him, and this was circumstances beyond his control, but his argument a year ago was, I'm the electable version of Trump, right? That's when Trump was at his low point. The uh, Many people feel, feel correctly that not it was the second consecutive time he cost the party control of the Senate by supporting these loser candidates like Herschel Walker, still to this day, the least qualified candidate I've ever seen run for national office. Dr. Oz, you know, the, the list goes on and on, right? So people, Trump was at his low point. And so Ron DeSantis said, well, I'm Trump and I'm electable and I have real results. I'm, as you say, I'm, I'm a wonk. I get things done. But, you know, in, in politics, when you're running for president, Retail politics matters, and it's one of the few areas where retail politics matters. And we and I predicted on this show way back that he was not going to make it just because he doesn't have the personality. And if you don't come across as liking people, it's hard to get them to vote for you. And I think the best example of that was, I'm sure you've seen the gallery of all the attempted Ron DeSantis smiles. It was one of the great memes that you, you've probably ever seen. And that, to me, just summed it up. So so that was problem number one. And problem number two was, as somebody said very articulately, he tried to just come in front of the Trump parade and lead, and lead it. Uh, and he just went far to the right and put poor Floridians through hell with the six-week abortion ban and 12-year-olds being able to carry guns without a permit and banning more books than anyone and, and you know, going to war with the biggest employer in the state, all this stuff that many people thought was stupid. And it really started in April of 21 when the back, when vaccines became widely available and he told uh, companies that you couldn't ban, uh, require employees to be vaccinated, including, including the cruise industry. So sadly, it was a result of bad personality and the fact that Trump had a resurgence. But Let's move on. I would love to get your thoughts on the, uh, well, first of all, on the Veep stakes, because there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on about thoughts, uh, analysis, because this, let's face it, this is a unique situation where Trump, because he's running for a second term, 
the vice president is going to be in only the second time in history in of being in the position of being the heir apparent after one term. And then you throw on top of that the fact that Trump is not going to put someone who is going to, A, I think there's two, there's two criteria that are steadfast. He's not going to put someone in there who's going to outshine him, i.e. Nikki Haley. So there's no way he's going to choose Nikki Haley. I'd say that's about a 0.001 chance. And he doesn't want to take any chance that this person is not going to be 110% loyal. In other words, he doesn't want, he's not going to have someone like Mike Pence who might do the right thing unexpectedly the way he did on January 6th. So given those two criteria, and of course there are many more, who do you think are the top two or three choices for Donald Trump's vice presidential candidate? And I have to say before you answer, knowing Trump, and I, this is where I give him credit, it's all about the show. I'm sure there's going to be endless parading of candidates and all these interviews and the sycophancy and the groveling and the dear leader-esque praise and all that before it happens. So what say you, my dear Carrie? Well, I, I agree with you that I think he is going to draw this out. It's going to be a reality show, kind of like a game of Survivor or a game of, you know, Celebrity Apprentice of who is going to be my Celebrity Apprentice in the White House. Uh, and a friend of mine who is at Fox Business and the New York Post, he sent me a uh, some reporting that he's, and he knows a lot of people close to Trump. The list, according to his current sourcing, is in, in this order of likelihood. J.D. Vance, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Elise Stefanik. Those are the top three candidates um, from his reporting, but obviously we know this could change. The thing about J.D. Vance is he's he owes everything to Trump for his Senate seat. Um, he was floundering in the primary in Ohio. Uh, I remember a, a friend of mine was close friends with one of J.D. Vance's op opponent um, in the primary, and he was starting to to um, overshadow him. But then Trump came in and and endorsed J.D. And then his fortunes turned, and now he's got his Senate seat. So he is very loyal to Trump, and I think that's the number one quality that Trump wants um, for this is loyal. And you're right; he also doesn't want somebody who's going to outshine him. And so I think the fact that Sarah Huckabee Sanders has worked for him before, that she helped amplify him, um, certainly, and that her father is a very famous last name within the Republican Party, that that's a lot of loyalty. With Stefanik, um, I've known her almost a decade. Um, she she's, she's perceived within the base as not being particularly solid, that she was more of a no offense to like a Rockefeller Republican, which is to say more of like a uh, an establishment or a, uh, you know, part of the deep state kind of thing. But because she is representing a, a very conservative district, she came around and became very supportive of Trump. And the fact that she's got very strong visibility right now with Claudine Gay puts her in a good position and she just campaigned with Trump this week on the campaign trail. So he's going to be having a lot of auditions. Um, on the campaign trail with these candidates. And I personally think if, if uh, he was watching our show, I would recommend that he picks Tim Scott. I think Tim Scott can be a really good contrast for him uh, in terms of having that sunny optimism, that Ronald Reagan-esque um, personality. And, and it was no coincidence that Tim Scott endorsed him this week. So I think Tim Scott is certainly 
open to that. So what do you think? Well, before I answer that, let me just push back on one thing. At least Stefanik did not come around because she was from a very conservative uh, district. She came around because she is the most tragic and reprehensible example of how the Republican Party has become the cult of Trump. And there is no better better case of someone who just threw every value and principle they had out the window for, for power. And so I must admit, she, I think she is deplorable. But what she does have is she has that killer style about her, and Trump loves that. And I think the most underrated thing that he may be looking for is someone that can go after Kamala Harris. And you don't talk, you don't, you don't hear this talked about much, but I really think it's important because Kamala is the weak point of the Biden ticket. And a lot of the 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 punditry on the right is saying, well, Biden's not gonna die, but he's gonna win. If he wins, then he's just going to step aside for health reasons and Kamala is going to be president or he might die. So you're not voting for Biden. You're voting for Kamala. I don't think that's going to be that effective because I just don't think people vote for vice president. I think they vote for president. But that's just my opinion. But having said that, I think that having someone you could go after and a woman on a woman is very important because a man just simply could not do that. So I and I think Elise Stefanik has shown her undying loyalty, her willingness to throw everything out the window, as I said, to to be loyal. So I also think Sarah Huckabee Sanders would be a, a good choice because he's seen her in action. I thought I didn't agree with her, but I thought like Jen Psaki, I thought she was a skillful press secretary and did a good job in what is really a thankless role in any, any administration. Uh, I think J.D. Vance, um, I think that he, Ohio has become a reliably red state, so I would think he would be the least choice. I do agree with you that I think from a perspective of balancing the ticket the best, I think Tim Scott would be the the best choice. I think he's very low key. He's not going to overshadow Trump, but I think the worry might be from, from the Trump camp, well, here's a guy that that the one thing he's lacking, the star power, and the reason he wasn't able to make it over the hump before, this is going to give him. So he might grow to, to outshine me. And But that's just the way that the insecure way that Trump thinks. So I would still say my bet would be Elise Stefanik first. And I would I think that Sarah Huckabee Sanders would be second. But it's, it's going to be a very drawn out uh, performance, What whatever happens. And again, you know, the old saying in politics is there are 10 reasons that you pick a vice president. The first is to help you win and the other nine don't matter. But then you turn that around and you look at Dan Quayle and Kamala Harris's ratings were even lower than Dan Quayle's, which tells you something. And that didn't hurt Bush. George H.W. Bush, he was the last president to get over 400 electoral votes. So in the end, I don't I don't think it's it's going to matter. But what are you? What are some? some well, Dave, I'm yeah. curious. You mentioned the the swapping in Kamala Harris. There's been some talk this week about the possibility of swapping in Michelle Obama at the last minute. Do you think there's any truth to that? And what what's your? I, I'm not an expert on Democratic Party nomination rules. Would that even be allowed under the rules if they if the voters didn't vote for him or for her for Michelle Obama? Um, would she be able to last minute step in? Uh, if at the very end, that's what, uh, you know, Biden says, oh, I'm bowing out for my health. Uh, well, I think what I, I my 
scenario and what I, that, what I would like to see happen, because I still, as you very articulately point out, pointed out, this any generic Democrat beats Donald Trump, any generic Republican beats Joe Biden, right? The whole country doesn't want this race. Over 70% of the country doesn't want this race. So my dream scenario is after the Democratic convention, sorry, after the Republican convention, convention which is uh, the middle of July, but before the Democratic convention, which is the end of August, so you have about a five-week period, Biden has to step aside for health reasons. That way it could be decided at the convention. And by the way, some history here, that's the way it was always, it always used to be decided. The modern presidential primary process didn't really start until 1972. And it was a result of 1968 when we had that terrible nominating, the terrible riots in Chicago and Hubert Humphrey uh, was the nominee that year without getting a single delegate, remember? Because LBJ stepped down or said that he wasn't going to run on March 31st, 1968. So I think that that would be the best way. Bring someone else in. And again, we could have a debate on another day as to who that would be. But that's what I'd like to, to see happen. But to answer your question, I do think that if he were to, if he were to replace Kamala, which I wish he would, and I think Gretchen Whitmer would be the perfect person um, to do that uh, because she comes from a swing state. She won re-election very handily, beating Tudor Dixon. Also, she was the victim of that kidnapping plot, which I think even endeared her to some voters that might not necessarily support her. So I think she'd be a very strong candidate, and it would it would inject new life into the into the into the ticket, and it would also assuage a lot of the concerns people have about this. Biden wins and then he steps aside. So there at least be a capable person. But I, as, as I understand it, that would have to be confirmed at the convention. But I'm sure that that would not be a problem. How would you like to see it play out? That's interesting. Uh, that's really interesting history. I'm glad you shared that about the fact that the current pr primary process was is very modern. I didn't realize that. That's that's very interesting. I mean, I think if you swap somebody out at the last minute, then yeah, I'm sure there'll be some pushback to say, well, nobody voted for this person. This is, you know, the delegates, the, um, you know, the elites are choosing who we shall vote for. But I do think that given how deeply, deeply unpopular Joe Biden is, and he's not even that popular among Democrats, I don't think there'll be that many Democrats that would shed tears if that were to happen at the primary. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it, um, Michelle, Michelle Obama would be an intriguing choice. Um, I think she can be quite polarizing. Uh, she she's, seems to have she's, a deep... she's, she's not interested. I can I can say with almost total metaphysical certitude in the words of the great John McLaughlin that that's not going to happen. I think that's the last thing she would want to do. I don't think she would want to run for president. She certainly wouldn't want to be vice president. But that's okay. Well, that, that's, it sounds like you're talking like you've spoken to her recently. So that's interesting no, insider no, information. I, I, I know people that know her, and just the word is that they're enjoying their lives, they being she and the former president. And I just don't think she would want to get in, in into this hornet's nest at all. But yeah, I guess interesting. Gonna, well, yeah. I, I think if, if they if they try to make it be Kamala Harris, I think that would be a strategic blunder by the Democrats. I, I mean, the fact that she did so incredibly poorly in the primary, her own Democrat voters did that. She's not popular with them. 
how how much worse will it be for the general? So I think she would be a terrible choice. Um, I think Gretchen Whitmer is actually quite polarizing because of COVID. A lot of people within the Republican base, she would be a, a, actually very motivating. In the way that Trump is motivating for a lot of Democrat-based voters, Gretchen Whitmer evokes a deep, visceral anger because of what she did to COVID. And then the fact that her husband was going around flouting all the rules around shutdown because the rules apply to her family differently than everybody else. I don't think it would be a good choice. I, I think they'd have to get somebody more like a Joe Manchin. Yeah, I, I again, I don't think that matters. I think the only reason it, that it would matter, people are not going to hold COVID policies against a, a president because of the vice president's uh, what the vice president did or didn't do, but I think the only difference. No, no, is no. That- I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, if, I'm saying, if Gretchen Whitmer was swapped in as the presidential nominee. Oh, as the presidential candidate. Well, I let's let's say that we definitely want to have that conversation. We don't have time today, but what I'm saying is, vice president. I think I think she would be a very a very a very solid choice. I think the m- main reason that Biden would need to do it is to assuage the concerns that people have that when when he gets reelected or if he gets reelected, that he's going to step down and give Kamala the role. And again, Kamala, she's like Ron DeSantis. She's just not that good of a, of a retail politician. And she's not that good of a politician. She's not stupid, uh, but she's just incompetent when it comes to politics. And she's shown that over and over again. So we shall see, but I think unfortunately we're going to have to leave it there for today. But one thing this will not be, as one of my friends said, the country may be going to hell, but at least it's entertaining. <laughs> so on that wonderful note, we will wish you a wonderful 2024. Thanks again for joining us on Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield, and we will catch you next time. 